Sure. Welcome back to the Key in the Lake podcast, live at the Wisconsin Whiskey Festival. You can hear the ramblings of pots, pans, whiskey, and even some Diet Pepsi. Oh, amazing. Right. Marty Duffy, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks, young Jake. It's uh, glad to be here. Oh, great. Well, uh, we have a very special guest. Her uh, son has appeared on oh here my. a few times. No, you're, not, you're not special. No, 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 no. Wow. It's, it's the uh, woman sitting in between you and I, sandwiching her, if you will. The thorn. Right. the thorn between uh, yes. the roses. Uh, well, we've had, we've had her son, Joe, Jay Henry, uh, bourbon on many times, and we absolutely sing their praises. Actually, Susan Rosentreiter and I were just talking about how much we love your whiskey uh, about five to ten minutes ago on the previous podcast. But uh, Liz, thanks for coming on. Hey, it's great to be here. Oh. <laughs> you know, I've heard Joe's perspective of how the brand started so many times and you know how you guys have built, have built it over the last decade or so and what you've done to make... I, I say this all the time. I don't. I don't think I've ever told you this. I think you guys make the best craft Midwest whiskey in uh, bourbon in all of the Midwest. So, the first time I ever had it, I can remember with yeah, it was uh, at Fountainhead. I first time I ever had it with Joe and tasted, it and I was like, "How the hell is this made?" And, and what time of day was that? Uh, it was early evening. Early, early hours. It was on a nice, cool, crisp, cool evening like this, and on the rooftop um, at Fountainhead. And the yeah. Fountainhead day. Are you having trouble hearing, Marty? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Marty. Can you turn that up, please? How is that, Marty? That's good. Yeah. Right there? Yeah. That's where you like it? Can you turn me up? <laughs> That's I my goal hear, every day. I want to hear more of me. Uh, no. You? The world's heard enough of you. <laughs> but Ow! Ow! How has whiskey, bourbon, building this distillery essentially on your farm, on your home, how has it changed your life? Well, I had a really great job at the university. I was happily working with brilliant people and running around doing my thing. And my seed corn growing husband decided he was going to do something more fun than just seed corn. So when he started this, he probably did everything by himself for the first several years. And after he did that for several years, he said, you know, we were told to enter our first competition. And um, our noser blender, the infamous Nancy L. Fraley, said, the bourbon's tasting pretty good. Why don't you guys enter a competition? And so he came racing home and said, Nancy thinks the bourbon's really good. Um, we are supposed to enter this competition, but you have to get a bottle and a label and everything else done and then how are you going to sell it so you had no label no nothing no we were right in the middle of just getting that done so i had to go pick a bottle pick a label get everything on it submit it to the ttb and we were trying as hard as we could to get it ready but about two days before the uh competition deadline i told nancy i said uh Sorry, we, we aren't going to make it because our, our label isn't done, but we had gotten our COLA, our Certificate of Label Approval. So she said, that's enough. You can take your COLA and photocopy it and send your naked bottle with a piece of masking tape on it with our name on it to our first competition. So it was a little disappointing for me to not have an actual beautiful bottle right. and label. But we did that, and we won our first gold medal before we were on market. And that was in Louisville, Kentucky. And most uh, 
most competitions, most competitions, they're never going to see the bottle anyway. So that's a good point. That's true. They're, point, they're not supposed to, right? right? Because right. it's supposed to it's be a blind, blind tasting, taste. Yeah. Um, Marty speaks with authority because he's been a judge and an esteemed uh, evaluator. I'm one he's of that the cool. judges. I've, that's what they call me. I sat at a judging table with him. I would. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I question well, his palate. We are happy that you <laughs> are balancing that out. <laughs> we try real hard. He questions more than his palate. Yeah. Well, how, did, how, did that, how did that feel when you, you come home with a, a gold medal? You're, you have nothing to actually showcase the brand other than just the whiskey, but it means you're doing something right. That was the biggest benefit. Um, I mean, I, we can talk all day about competitions yeah, yeah, yeah. and where people feel about them, how people feel about them, whether they think it's pay to play or whether they think it's you know a really great way to get your product out i will say that most of the competitions we've entered you get tasting notes yeah right right, so you get some feedback from somebody who should know what it should taste like what a good bourbon has to meet as a parameter so that's very helpful especially in the beginning and i think that was the biggest benefit of winning our first medal was it was the idea that okay joe you're making decent bourbon yeah go ahead and so then we kind of dove in both feet but when we started we made 100 barrels per year for six years for six years it took us nine years to get to 1,000 barrels and when you know how much bourbon the big houses spill in a day it's like wow you guys actually made it (laughs) <laughs> on that little bit of product. Right, so, right, right. so that was an exciting thing. The other thing that's interesting is that all of our bourbons are four-grain mash pill mm-hmm. made with these four heirloom grains, three of which we grow on the farm. Um, and so it's really exciting for a couple of reasons. First of all, our son Joe was just named a master blender. Yeah. And we were so proud of that yeah, yeah. because he's been apprenticing with Nancy for the last seven years. Um, but what it really did was excite us about the fact that same mash bills, same rickhouses, but we've now got more than five different expressions coming out of that. So we just want to keep really choosing the right barrels and letting them be where they should be, how Wait, they should be expressed. Can I go back there, Liz? What's, so he was named a master blender? Yes. By Nancy. By Nancy, Nancy. Fraley. So is that a certification that she's presenting now? So that's an interesting question. Thank you for that, yeah, Marty. You know, like, not many people in the U.S. Marty, you should have your own talk show. Yes, you should. Hello. Actually, Thank you very much. Oh, wait, actually, you did. I used to. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, still catch them on YouTube. <laughs> They're and still there. If you want to be the second person to watch each one. Stop. I watched at least three. Yeah, I watched two. I was on two of them. Thank yeah, you. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so being a master blender is different than being a master distiller. Often when people, um, particularly in the Midwest, we don't have as many of those folks as they do down south in Kentucky. Um, but if you are working at a distillery and you're the longest tenured person and you know how to do all this stuff, often you progress to being a master distiller. Um, A master blender is a whole different gig because many people kind of get designated master blenders depending on what their work is. 
And in this case, Nancy was trying to convey that he should be named the master blender because he has apprenticed with her for seven years. And in Europe, where she trained, and then in California, where she trained also, it's common that people apprentice, but there's not a formal certification. He didn't get something in the mail that we can hang on the wall. I mean, because that's, that's been a, a bone of contention mm-hmm. as far as master distillers go. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, first off, a, a master distiller, mm-hmm. the term, uh, started out as marketing ploy uh, right. many, many years ago. Yeah. Uh, and there's some folks who, in the business, over in Scotland and Ireland, they, uh, they, uh, they eschew. Yes. R- rub some people the wrong way because mm-hmm. it's like, Kind of like how you do. Thank you. I like to think I rub people I, the wrong way internationally. I'd rather he rubbed the wrong way than... <laughs> no, Sometimes no. I rub them the right way. You know what? At least you remember. It's all I'm good. Yeah. Multi- I'm very ambidextrous. There you, you go. I bet yeah. you are. He rubs both ways. But yes, I rub both ways. Thank you, everybody. Don't, and please do not contact me. We'll be if here all weekend. Rub, yeah. Oh, no. Um, just but uh, but no, it's uh, it's was kind of a bone. Uh, Marianne Eves, when she was named a master distiller after, uh, well, actually, after about a year, mm-hmm. it it caused a bit of a stir because yep. everyone said, "How can you be a master distiller? You just started." You know, it's not a, it's something more that you kind of look at somebody who's been at it for twenty years. Or more like a Jimmy Russell, you go, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a definitely a master There's of a, a lot of things. Sleep, oh, know? yeah, yeah. So I was just wondering if that was still the thing. I've never heard someone being called a master blender, especially at Joe's. At, yeah, you're talking young Joe? Yes, sir. <laughs> young yes, Joe. sir. Where, where have you been, Marty? Old Joe yeah. doesn't have as great a palate as This is old son, news, but, yeah. But I so. Where have I been? <laughs> Seven, like two weeks ago. Yeah, Where right. have you been? Oh my God, that's right. I've been in a coma for the last seven years. <laughs> what do you mean? Joe Where was named been? Head Blender a couple of years blender? ago. A couple head of years blender. ago. And when he was named Head Blender, he was all excited and he accidentally said, Yeah, I'm the new Master Blender. And Nancy was like, Oh no, oh no. She was still our Master Blender. So I think you're right, though, Marty. There's a lot of different views yeah, right, yeah, in yeah. the industry like there isn't a codified program yeah. and don't get me blending, started on blending, the things really. right i mean it's cool if nancy's actually doing a, a certification course for such a thing that's actually kind of cool i mean it's similar it's akin to like jujitsu you're whoever is teaching you gives you your next belt when they feel you're ready not just a number of years it's about when you're ready and yeah. joe also does jujitsu too and so that's what joe yeah kind of likened it to his world was that was the deal. I mean, I think the other thing is watching them taste things over time. Mm. So it used to be the three of us would sit at the table with a hundred samples and, you know, nose them, taste them, write our notes. And then we would commune, like the three of us would say, what do you think this is going to be? When you say the three, was it you, the two Joes? No. Nancy, Joe, Nancy and I, and, hmm. and then little by little, they kind of nudged me out. They didn't need me. <laughs> nice. And it got to the point where the two of them were much faster and more efficient because they knew what they were going for. And several years ago, I thought it was really fascinating to hear all of us share our notes because 
Nancy said this tastes like buttered brioche, vanilla custard, um, vanilla soda, cream soda, sarsaparilla. And I said, no, it tastes like vanilla ice cream, vanilla cake batter. And Joe said, no, it tastes like vanilla extract. Mm. So all of these are vanillas, but very different vanillas. And so they're going to go into a blend very differently. This last year, I came in on them tasting they didn't even have to share their notes. They nosed it, they tasted it, they wrote their notes, and then they looked at each other and said, this will go into Bellefontaine. Mm. So I think that's where she decided he had now gotten to the point where they knew what the standard was, and they knew what they were tasting, and they had gotten through it enough that, that she was confident in his ability to not just do that, but then blend things. Yeah. How did you your know? relationship start with Nancy? So my husband contacted Nancy before we came to market, as he was just beginning, and I noticed there were these checks of money and bottles of bourbon going out to California. And I'm like, who is this Nancy woman who you keep sending (laughs) bourbon and money to? And I'd not met her. And he said, she's a pretty well-known blender. She really gets flavors, and she's got a super profile of being able to identify things and nosing for faults is one of her top skills as well as being able to nose for and identify what barrels are your strengths and when I finally met her it was right about the time when the uh, they wrote an article about her in the Atlantic magazine and they called her the nose they called her the sniffer actually in that one and it was fascinating because she was at a big house in Kentucky and she could identify barrels that had not necessarily an off flavor but a different flavor that they weren't supposed to have and she walked in the door and said i need to see these four barrels and they were all near each other but they were also near a microwave that the people in the rickhouse heated their lunches in and she said does somebody make indian food in that microwave because i'm getting curry and coriander on these barrels so that was profound. It was like, wow, she can tell? Right. Yeah. You know, you know. If a barrel sits in the wrong place, it can absorb the not good things as well as the great things when it's just breathing. It's fascinating. Like, um, I don't mean this in a derogatory tor- term, but those old heads of whiskey speak the same way. Like Greg Metz. Yep. He doesn't taste whiskey for its perfection. He tastes it for the imperfections. Correct. And sitting down with him for two hours and drinking whiskey, I approach whiskey in a whole, whole different way. Whole new way. Whole new way. That changed Joe's perspective when working with Nancy about everything he did. Yep. Yep. He also had the chance to hang out with Dixon Deadman for a yeah, while, yeah. and they kind of did the little challenge. A couple friends said, oh. "Yeah, you know, Dixon was kind of throwing things at him and saying, hey." give this a try. What do you get? What do you get? I love the thing about blenders that is two plus two does not always equal four. You know, once you recognize that, it's a really profound thing because two plus two can equal eight. Yeah. If you do it right, but it can also equal two or three. I'm so glad you're telling the story at this event because last year at this event, we interviewed Dixon, him Mm -hmm. telling that story, how Jim Rutledge taught him that. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he's just another great young guy who's out there, worked in the industry all of his life, and now is launching into another chapter, right? Another stage, a new product, a new product line. Do you think this new moniker for Joe takes 
Jay Henry in a different direction or in new light? I think it solidifies, just like winning our first gold medal solidified for my husband that he was doing a good job making bourbon, you know, doing the processes of the operations well. I think that solidifies our direction as far as new products. We don't want to be kitschy, but we want to continue growing and developing and innovating. And I think it affirms for Joe that he's got a good palate, he's doing a good job, and hopefully we continue to... We're releasing our first rye next weekend. Oh, you're releasing it finally. Yeah, finally. (laughs) Finally. Oh, exciting. And it's weird because it's a four-grain rye, so we're flipping the mash bill, and we're keeping corn and wheat in our rye, which is kind of a different animal. How high rye? 64%. 64%. Yeah. So it's not 95.5, and you'll taste that. But what we're really hoping, which we sort of got feedback from yeah. so far, is that true rye drinkers are not disappointed in a less than high rye mash bill, but non rye drinkers are kind of going, this isn't bad. You know, this is, you know, that backhanded compliment yeah. is always the I one you mean, want. You're yeah. looking for somebody to say, Oh yeah, I could I could drink more of this, or this is good. Well, I think too many people, too many whiskey drinkers, fall into uh, just looking at things very simplistically, thinking that even rye whiskey, all rye whiskey tastes the same. That it's going to be drier than a bourbon or spicier than a bourbon. That's not true. I mean, ryes can be very different from one another. Uh, just rye whiskey. And then when you're playing around with, say, a high rye bourbon or a rye-influenced bourbon, put it that way. Uh, I like that. There should be a new category, rye-influenced bourbon. Thank you. Yes. I've created so many goddamn And you've totally redeemed yourself. Another expert expert witness. You know, I throw these light preservers off the Titanic. Are you a master glassware man? Am I? (laughs) The master Master glassware. Masterclass. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I definitely, definitely, we were just at a really highbrow tasting, which mm. actually was the place where we first met Mr. Duffy. Oh, what? Um, where? Where at? Yeah, which one? Can I say that? Sure. At Kohler Wine and Food. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. And several years ago, the first year I think they had spirits there, um, Mr. Duffy did a presentation. It was pretty incredible it was mind-blowing whoa, 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 talking whoa, whoa, whoa. about scotch. yeah young jake you'd be uh, <laughs> amazed hey you know what every conversation i have with you you always blow my mind <laughs> oh it's a very tiny little mind to blow so that's a good point as long as that's fair crazy. point fair yes. point my wife reminds me of that every day <laughs> <laughs> but what was cool about being at this event again is they did a Rydell glassware. Oh, oh, no. oh. And well, it's for the wine? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I really, really want to do a few of those with your beautiful Glen We Cairns. used to. Yep. Um, a little Liesl Nelson. I don't know if, I I if Giaggio was here, yeah. but uh, Liesl is the uh, market manager for yeah. Wisconsin for Diageo, and she was great. And we always had Glen Cairn glasses mm-hmm. back in the day, especially when she had a presence, but I don't think there's a 
master whiskey anymore mm. or any kind of whiskey I go-to person for Diageo. We're missing for, that. We're yeah. missing that immensely. Uh, but those events, the Kohler events, were always very, very cool. I got a lot of out of those. And actually, I sat through the Riedel one. Uh, I don't even think of them as competitor. They're mostly wine glasses. We do some wine glasses, but we don't. We do just fancy crystal ones, but we don't do what they do. Um, but I saw their presentation, and it was really interesting. There might have been a little Jedi mind trick what do you going mean? on there. Well, they had, uh, they were, I don't know if it's the same thing, Liz. They had four different Riedel glasses, wine glasses. They would pour different wines in each one and then switch those out. And he knows it. But see, I don't know. It, I just the, want to the do way one they with did it, it was cool, but it was not the you same. You were not thinking. See, and what I love is sensory experience. Yeah. Because I think everybody here tonight, they give a rip about that extra whatever it is, you know. Yep. But it's mostly doing with nose and taste, you know, and on the palate. So even just the fact that when in our tasting room, we always use Glen Cairns because we want people to get that moment of getting the nose, really getting well, the inhale. And if we had to switch to something, I would use Copitas yeah. or occasionally we use a Canadian Glen yeah. Cairn, which mm. is We've, in those really crazy flange glasses, which are hard to drink out are, of. Yeah. Oh, but, you mean the... the Neat glass? The, yeah, the smashed ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look like they've been overblown. Posy, little yeah. posy glasses. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so George, uh, no, uh, Lou Bryson, myself, and the late Tom Johnson from the Aroma Academy, we used to do uh, a class where we did use various styles of Glencairn glasses. The, the Wii, the Standard, the Copita, and the Mixer glass aka Canadian glass and we try different whiskeys in each one and, the, and they did they, the each one what? or the same whiskeys in each one? no no they'd be different whiskeys but we would encourage folks pour the glasses out rinse them uh, you can pour the, the whiskey into sample cups then switch out and to experiment uh, we just thought the three of us uh, experimented with it ourselves, and then had people. Um, we had people uh, try the whiskeys we thought went best in those particular glasses. Like I thought, rye, a high proof rye, did really well in the mixer glass. Hmm. Um, any, for any certain reason? I'm sorry. What? For any certain reason? Just because of the. The various characteristics that popped in most of the rides that we were given. I mean, it also varied. You didn't choose. Because we did these at whiskey events, and they supplied okay. the whiskeys for us. Sometimes we had a scotch as well. So we uh, sometimes we, we'd ask for uh, either cask or barrel strength whiskey. So that would go also in the in the, the mixer glass. Um Whereas, um, like, we always did a lower-strength scotch 
in the Glencairn. Um, and then, actually, bourbons were really nice in the Copita glass. Well, in a lot of the judging, they are using the variants of those glasses. They like them. They, do, they like it mainly because of the stem. Okay. Makes so sense. they can swirl. Yeah, swirl, yeah. And well, even uh, Richard Patterson, more who, fanciful. who helped make, he, he was one of the five master blenders mm-hmm. who helped and advised us on the creation of the Glencairn glass. Mm-hmm. He still uses our Copita glass because he doesn't like his hand touching the bowl touching of the glass. Bowl. He prefers the stem. Okay. Whatever. It's sensory one of the big selling points and touching points of uh, when visitors come to J. Henry? Definitely. I mean, I'm an old educator. Right. So when we first opened, the majority of people, the majority of people who came into our tasting room or stumbled upon us would say, well... You can't make bourbon in Wisconsin, right, right? Right. So, so there's these myths and fallacies that are being perpetuated. And what I tell people is, yeah, I said you can't. You have to believe that because Kentucky believes that they do. They, they do. believe yeah, that. Yeah, and I said we make the best cheese in the world here in Wisconsin. So, I understand where they're coming from. They're not yeah. trying to be. Unkind. It's just 95 to 97 percent of the bourbon in the world comes from Kentucky. So what we wanted to do was not throw Kentucky under the bus. It's where we learned everything. Yeah. What we wanted to do was explain to people, yeah, you know, this is the law. The law is these six things. But now let's try it. Let's do this. And the other big thing, everybody who works in our tasting room is a trained bourbon steward. And that's because we want them to be able to have as many tools as they can to explain to people what they should be considering or looking for. But at the end of the day, what we want more than anything is for people to find what they prefer. Like, I prefer this or whiskey, rye, bourbon. I prefer a finish. Bourbon Stewart at yes. uh, the Moonshine University Correct. in Louisville, Kentucky. With Every single Mr. person. Mr. Colin Blake. That might be Every the one. Every single person. Okay. Now I'm just going to clarify. That's exactly that it. Moonshine Mr. University in Kentucky. In Kentucky, in Louisville. We love them. Mr. Colin Blake. We could always use sponsors in the podcast. We love them. Just saying. Just because Moonshine University does a heck of a good job in helping people understand what the rules and the regs and the things that make bourbon special and unique. So the the idea is, yeah, we want to give you a sensory experience. The other reason is because bourbon, whiskey in general, is meant to be sipped and shared. And it's used for celebrations. It's used for things. So if you can get people to slow down, even for a few minutes while they're in your tasting room and they're sampling things, I always say, try this, try that. Do you like one more than the other? What do you like about it? Remember that because next time you're in a bar or a restaurant and you're ordering something, you want to be able to say, you know, I really like this style or this kind of thing. And I really like drinking it on the rocks, whereas this one, I definitely will drink meat. And that's all we want, is to have them have that moment where they're stopping and enjoying themselves. What would you say for customers that have ever had your whiskey or don't know your philosophy, how important is place where you're from inside of your bottle at the end of the day? 
Well, represent, are you sort that, of rep- representing that place? I guess the terror yes. of our sure, whiskey. Yeah. So that was something that we've been hearing a lot. We were at a big wine tasting event recently, and we've been hearing that more and more. Um, for us, it's pretty much everything, right? Because we grow those grains; they're heirloom grains. They, my father-in-law grew them. Mm-hmm. They are preserved at the University of Wisconsin. Um, we're very proud of the fact that we revived those old grains, yeah. that we grow them on the farm, that we handle them as carefully as we do, and that we have unheated, uncontrolled rickhouses that just live with Wisconsin weather. <laughs> and the Wisconsin weather is what makes those barrels breathe, it makes them work. We don't have as much Baudonia campionesis as they do in Kentucky. You know, our rickhouses aren't thoroughly black because it gets colder here in the winter and it kind of goes dormant for a little while. But it's the whole idea that this is a living, breathing, live thing. 100%. Hanging out and growing up at our farm and kind of like Joe going through the jujitsu training or growing up with the whiskey is we hope people can come out and enjoy being there. Our farm, if I can say so myself has a little wow factor as far as the ah factor the way that you feel like you're a long way away you're 20 miles out of madison but you drive in that driveway and you're like now i can just sit and enjoy myself and that's our goal paired with the terror of our bourbon that is truly our dna our family so is that yeah, that's a, a that wonderful answer. answer. Yeah, no, I think it, it perfectly describes what you guys are doing on literally from the ground up with your distillery, trying to make whiskey that isn't just representing Wisconsin and the area of Wisconsin you're from, from, but your entire family, a lineage of your family. Thank you. Yeah. That's something that we're really proud of. Marty, you've been out. Yeah, Would you say it's, it's, it's not you. true Kentucky, although... We just got a Kentucky yeah. Rickhouse. True Kentucky. That's the true Wisconsin. True Wisconsin. <laughs> Hello, Wisconsin. I said your mic turned down. Sorry. Hey, Wisconsin. <laughs> da, 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 da. No, I, I think, that, uh, I mean. As an I mean, Iowa fan, I hate that. It's. it's you guys fun. did us dirty. We do, we do everybody dirty. <laughs> we do our own fans dirty. Most boring games of football I've ever watched my entire life. Doing your fans. It's the only team you have. Oh yeah, yeah don't do your fans. It's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jake. When I played college football, it was okay to do the fans. I think you know. That's what uh, they all do. In fact, I was just talking to a guy tonight at the show, who's from Missouri. They make uh, bourbon in Missouri, and he's always getting. He gets a lot of folks down there who say, "Ah, oh, yeah, they're making bourbon in Missouri." I, 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 it doesn't come from Missouri. It comes from Kentucky. There? Yeah. <laughs> ah, it's, just, it's a Chicago one. goes down there. Oh, my God. It's yeah, a what, guy. What are you doing there? <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, it is, it's still prevalent out there. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks think the permit has to come from Kentucky. It doesn't. No. The vast majority, a majority of bourbon comes from Kentucky. Legally, it can be made anywhere in the United States. Um, and I think that's the fascinating thing. In fact, I talk to a lot of the folks when I go over to, back to Scotland, Ireland, the fact that the United States has such a, a vast and varied um, microclimates. Oh, yeah. 
and uh, we could have regionality in whiskey the way same way Scotland. Huge. We should probably be honest. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, your your angel share can vary from uh, very tiny to huge. To sixteen percent, yeah. depending yeah. on where you're at. Nuts. Um, in fact, I was talking to a guy who has a, a, a whiskey from. Well, it's actually not from Nevada. And he was saying right. it doesn't make it in Nevada. It's coming on next. It would, uh, <laughs> it would be. Uh, He's uh, throwing down. He is. It'd be evaporating uh, faster than you make it. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. In fact, Leopold Brothers, Colorado, mm. just because they're they're high altitude, they had to create Dunnage special Dunnage warehouses to reduce. The evaporation rate uh, it was enormous. It was like I don't know. They I think they had fourteen percent. It's not like you know. It's just because the altitude. Some of those not... India varieties dealt with that right. stuff really. Yeah. In Arizona, I heard they had just this huge, huge evaporation where they were losing product faster than they could make it. Yeah. Texas is another one. Yeah, they've had. Uh, so they all have to take special precautions and such. Uh, but it's also the various, you know, what's interesting about your whiskey is because you are maturing it on a farm uh, and out in beautiful country. I knew you were going to bring this up. I love this. Please. Um, well, I know where you're going. It's been brought up that we have a lot of urban distilleries. You've brought this up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and it's never really been looked into. You have distilleries that are in cities, major cities, and they're, they, where it's allowed, you'll have barrels laying down. But, you know, if Scotland, if a, a whiskey's being matured near the ocean in Scotland, they say, oh, you can taste the sea and the, oh, the draininess, the, the maritime character, the iodine. Oh, well, if that's true. We should do audiobooks. Thank you. Yep. I Characters. Do. Mostly adult. Don't you already? Mostly yeah. adult books. Adult erotica. Sorry. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, I'm out. Slowly <laughs> moved her hand down his thigh. Okay. Um, Stop it, Marty. <laughs> We're in a tight spaces. Sorry. Oh, Jake. Jake. <laughs> didn't take much for Jake. Look at that. Oh, my God. I didn't uh, touch him. It's oh. true. It's I'm true. not touching you. I'm not, not. touching you. <laughs> Anyway, your urban distillery. I know where you were going yes, with yes. that. So, anyways, yeah, yeah. if uh, a whiskey does absorb a lot of the environment around it, the terror uh, of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Or New York, or Milwaukee, yeah. or De- uh, Milwaukee, or Denver, uh, any one of these. Yeah, I think it's definitely grounds for investigation. But actually, even here, I mean, because you are on the west side of Wisconsin in farmland. You could compare, you could, it might be a kind of an interesting little uh, test to uh, reach out some uh, distilleries that are in Milwaukee. There's not any in Madison, in Madison itself, is there? There are a couple. In, a couple, right, right downtown. Oh. Yep. Are, you, well, are you suggesting a barrel exchange program? Ooh. Yeah. So, well, that, maybe just a, a comparison. 
Well, you know, what, what if like you sent your one of your barrels to Cobol and aged it down there, see what happens to it. They send one of their barrels to the farm and see what happens to it, and, and then, then taste them side by side. Yeah. Well, yeah. and Liz, I've suggested this to a number of distilleries. No one's picked me, uh, <laughs> took me up on it. Maybe you should stop suggesting it. Then. Now, I look. You know, somebody came up. Someone was kept on suggesting penicillin once upon a time, and someone finally did it. Picked it up, you mean? Oh, my God. <laughs> Narrow-minded. Cocaine no. used to be in Coke, too. So, you know. Yeah, well, those were the days. They were the days, I heard. <laughs> All right, well, if, okay, I can see where you're... See, I yeah, have... now there's a suggestion <laughs> I take. <laughs> so, my bias, or my only challenge would be yeah. on doing a barrel exchange. Mm-hmm. Not a barrel exchange. Isn't that... <laughs> His boneheaded idea. We have what's your idea? 800 barrels in Rickhouse One. So we have 800 barrels. Right. They're all the same four grain mash bill. Yeah. They're all aging next to each other in the same Rickhouse. But the challenge is each one of those barrels, as it matures, expresses differently. So if I gave barrel 581 right. yeah. to you, right. and then we came it back and brought it back after it aged on the lake here uh-huh. and said, oh, how does that compare to 582? I don't know that it would be no, any right. different because of the terroir. No, because every barrel, you're right, because wood is organic. Right. And as that whiskey ages, that's why you have to blend even a single malt because the only way to create consistency is, is to create that same... Flavor profile. Yes. Right. I mean, we use like 70 Fair. barrels a time to batch our whiskeys yeah. together with very active, alive wine barrels. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be a fun experiment because I do think there are differences. But, you know, we have so many variables that we could be looking at, right? Like change the mash bill, change the wood, but change see, the this, aging, change the this location. Is why I didn't bring up the whole idea of a barrel exchange. Oh. Uh, the Jake. boy wonder over here. Boy up with it. Thank you. That's my yes. daddy's name. So I'm, no. no, so I'm known as in the Chicago market. <laughs> boy wonder. Not the wonder boy. No, nope. I boy was suggesting wonder. just comparing your whiskey to a whiskey that is aged in a city, just to see the change. And in Wisconsin, just to see if there's a, a difference between country and urban, rural, urban. Uh, however, here's my idea. No, okay. okay. We're finally getting to the idea. Fine. Take your whiskey, take a barrel or two, go up to Little Bohemia mm-hmm. in northern uh, Wisconsin, the place where uh, John Dellinger and Babyface Nelson fought the FBI. They have a nice little log lodge there. Well, yeah, you go there. Age one of your barrels there, a couple barrels maybe, maybe and then bottle it as Dillinger's whiskey. Wait, and sell it down in somebody uh, else Chicago. already has that. Don't they don't they? have a. There's a Dillinger's whiskey, yeah. Yeah, it's not or the same Derringer. Thing, right? Derringer. Derringer. Oh, that's a rabbit hole. Right. Rabbit hole? It's Derringer? Yeah, that's a gun. Yeah, yeah. but that's Sorry. the name of somebody's whiskey. Sorry, we were, we were mistaken. And actually, for all you uh, gangster fans out there, it's actually pronounced Dillinger. Is it really? People didn't know that. I, I suggested this idea to the, to the Blum Brothers about distilling this, uh, distilling their, or aging their whiskey, one at the distillery, and then one down, um, like in the River Valley, to see the different effects of it. And they thought I was stupid for bringing that up. <laughs> Shut 
I, the front door. I what did told, you tell them about that? Uh, Those I boys told, don't guys, call anybody. They don't. They don't, they don't know anything. They yeah. don't call anybody. I told stupid. Dave Schmier that he should do uh, <laughs> a joint effort with the Van Winkles, so that uh, who created Pappy Van Winkle? That uh, Pappy they Van create, No, uh, a, a Pap Schmier. It would be called Pap Schmier. And oh, I'm out. Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> I'm out. Po- We're all out. This podcast is officially over. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> the entire uh, podcast. It's over. Not now this episode. The food is gone. Look. The food's all gone. I'm watching them clear oh, this. That, that's my friends were trying to signal to me. Now I get it. Oh, I did, thought I ate earlier, I guess. Oh. Oh. Well, they Marty, I, Marty I think it's a good idea, regardless. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless of what you call us. One of these days, some distillery will take you up on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it'll be you and Dave and Pappy. Me and Dave. Me and Dave and a dog named Blue. Yeah. (laughs) Any uh, new things, other new things happening at the distillery we should look out for? Well, we're pretty excited about this rivalry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were really excited about having Joe named. And I love that it maybe creates a little stir that people need to say, yeah, what does that mean? Is that really authentic? Does it really mean that he has a classification or a skill that he didn't have seven years ago? I, I would argue yes, because he really has worked hard to be able to blend a really beautiful, as much consistency as we need without removing the uniqueness. So the other thing that's really a highlight for him is the day after Thanksgiving, Uh we release our limited edition. And the first one came out in 2019, and it was several hundred bottles, and we sold out by 4 o'clock. But everybody who drove out got a bottle. Nice. And uh, last year we had several more hundred bottles. This is when you have the giant car line in the parking lot. Yeah. 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 Now we're trying to figure out how many games and how much food and what else we need. For sure, we need a porta potty. Oh, all right. Well, that's a good addition. A porta potty? Yeah. Marty has a guy. People showed up. <laughs> I know Do a guy you? who knows a guy. Do you? Yeah. We had people show up at 5 in the morning for a 10.30 open. Good so. thing there's plenty of trees. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, not dig everybody's. Dig a hole. Dig a just have a little wooden booth. Hey, the last time I got invited to go camping, it was a women's camping outing, and I was pretty excited until they handed me the sheet of Mm -hmm. the things you have to bring. And one was, you bring your own trowel and your own... Oh. Yeah, and I was kind of like... And then they had suggestions for, like, throw a rope around a tree so you can do the proper pose. And I was like, you know, maybe I'm too old for this shit anymore. I'd agree. I'm too old for it, too. You know, yeah. Don't worry about as it. As much as Me I too. love doing that, yeah. No, I, I apologize. I don't mean to curse. No, you're people. fine. You're, there's no. no people here, just Marty. Lizard, <laughs> uh, Liz, what, uh, what are, who are your distributors? What states are you available in, and who are your distributors? Oh, thank you for that, Marty. Great we question, are Marty. in Wisconsin, right here in beautiful Wisconsin, our homeland where we are represented or distributed by Frank Liquors and Badger Liquors here on the east side of the state. And then in Illinois and Minnesota, we are represented by Winebow. Oh, wow. And contrary to popular belief, Winebow sells spirits, Sells some great spirits. So that's important because a lot of folks said, wait, you're represented by a wine company? Yes, 
we are, but they have a great, great spirits program. We were invited in by Monique yeah, Houston, legend. and she's, uh, yeah, legendary. Another one of these judges who knows what the heck she's tasting and talking about. Absolutely. Um, I have always admired how you guys want to own your backyard and don't have... Maybe you are a little anxious about expanding, but you still kind of stick to your guns and think, why don't we do what we do best where people know us and let that build naturally out from that? And yeah, I mean, I'm sure you'll eventually get to more national distribution, but in the meantime, own what you have right here. Thank you for that, Jake. I mean, I think it's really important that people recognize we would grow faster if we could, but we have not had yeah. enough product to meet demand over I the last I always tell people, years. I'm like, I was literally at your distillery one time, and there's <laughs> you know. 39 cases sitting in the corner, <laughs> and that's everything you guys had available. Everything we had available. Yeah. So we're happy to be off allocation. We do Great. have product available, but we always figured it was a better idea to serve who brought you yeah. first and then expand past there once you have enough product. But... I will say we have never sourced. There's nothing wrong with sourcing, but we talked about that earlier. Um, when we first came out, people were like, there's no way you're making this bourbon in Wisconsin. And yeah, I was like, yeah. yes, we are. Yeah. But that was hard, too, because 100 barrels a year right. doesn't go very far for the first many years. <laughs> Didn't you guys have like four, year, four and a half year old barrels when distributors first started coming around and tasting everything? Yep. We did. Actually... We and we got invited because we had to find a distributor. Okay. Right. The, the only way to go to market is through a distributor. Wisconsin's a three-tier state. So, as we were getting ready to go to market, we thought we better start, you know, yeah. finding a distributor. And I'm really proud to say all the five distributors that were in our area that we interviewed with all said they would carry us. Yeah. And that's you know kind of nice. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. <laughs> I remember just telling the story don't. of like how. You know, he's like, you guys are like, yeah, we have four and a half year old whiskey. How do you have four and a half year old? Who are you guys? And then all yeah. of a sudden, getting ready to go to market. So, yeah, crazy stories. It all ends up, no. They were laughing because they thought we were. Oh, do you want to try some whiskey? Try yeah. some whiskey. It's damn good whiskey. It's from Down Under. It's delicious. They pour you a glass. He's pouring do for we? you. <laughs> he's pouring for you. They filter it through real kangaroo pelts. Not true, but it could be. It'd be a good selling Possibly. point. If that was the case. Well, maybe you can find a barber. Cause you need a haircut. <laughs> Goddamn hippie. Well, you know. Um, it's a good look. Joe is good Joe, hair. Joe and I were standing next to each other Uh-oh. at an event a couple weeks ago, and people were admiring us and our hair. So you know what, Marty? Fabio. Suck it. <laughs> Mil- Miller thought we no. should just open a salon. So no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. They're admiring your hair. Yeah. And that was it. Dead follicles growing out of the top of your head. Hey, you gotta have something, man. I guess. All I know is when women come up to me, they admire the sheer amount of muscle surrounded by a thin layer of protective blubber. Well said. Keeps us warm in the winter. You know what? You're a uh, true Midwestern. You're an amazing specimen, Marty. Thank you. <laughs> any any Glencairn news we need to hear about? There's always something happening with Glencairn. Always check out the website at www.glencairn.co.uk. .co.uk. .uk. 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 .u
not well, down under. UK, I'm no, okay. Don't worry about that. Yeah. I just bring this to drink it all. Oh, well, Something to entertain myself while recording podcasts. It's delicious. Yeah. Not working, but working all at the same time. It's yeah. delicious. Bringing people over here. Whiskey uh, from down under. It's delicious. Yes, you got sir. it. Yeah. Yes, oh, he got, he's got it. He's tr- ready. Oh. He's ready. I'll start you off with this one. Give him a pour. It's a quite tasty one. It's a tasty one. So I, I do want to finish that story yeah. that you brought please. up, Jay. Yeah, because when we were looking for distributors, my husband called several of them and said, Hey, I'm a farmer in Dayton, Wisconsin, and I have 400 barrels of whiskey that have been aged four and a half or five years. They hadn't all made it that old yet, but, you know, that's what we were doing. And people, actually, one of our first distributors kind of took it as a joke. Like, yeah. he was like, yeah, sure, come on out. Yeah, yeah. Let's meet you. Sure. Let's <laughs> this see what farmer in Dane who's Did, making whiskey. And then they tasted it, and they were like, damn. they assume it was sourced? Or what? No, they just thought he was some crazy guy doing a little moonshine in the backyard or something. So they wanted to see more because they were bored on a Friday. Yeah. And yeah. they did that. But a lot of people in the market assumed it was sourced. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to go toe-to-toe with people on social media all the time. Mm. They were like, there's no way that you just came out with five-year-old bourbon. Right. And that's kind of the whole, right, right when Templeton Rye thing happened. So people that probably, you know, confused, trying to find the next brand that was doing the same thing. But, Templeton's yeah. a nice product. Yeah. But they got a bad rap because Absolutely. they maybe misled people a little bit. Yeah. So, what? Yeah. What? They got a bad rap because why? Because people felt misled. They thought it well, was actually yeah. being was made in actually, Templeton. Actually, well, that's because they said it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was a direct actually, mislead. They didn't feel misled. They it were. were. Misled. <laughs> so that's what happened there. That's, and so we did bear the brunt of that, unfortunately. Well, I mean, I mean a lot gave, of us did. It, it, it did uh, create a kind of a weird stigma to anything that was sourced. Because the thing is, source whiskey has been around of it. for 150 years or more. Um, and much what, of it good. Like, yeah, very it's good. Like, it's not fact, an embarrassment to love, say I sourced Nobody complained again uh, about the taste of Templeton. Right. Uh, have they just been kind of open and honest about where it was coming from? And have they, you know... We don't like to be misdirected. No. We get sneaky about that. But at the same time, I also, I also thought a lot of folks got their undies in the bundle about nothing. And they, right. Because right. I kept on thinking, wait a minute, you've been buying it, you liked it. Drinking it. And now you find out, oh my God, is that me where it's made? I'm the first guy who came up with the whole analogy. Whoa, whoa. Oh, so, oh my God, those Keebler cookies? They're not made out no of trees by elves? <laughs> oh my no God. Elves. I hate these. You've been lying to me all this time. It's called no. marketing. People. Just the elves were lying. So you don't, you don't feel misled when brands do that? You don't care? I, uh, I don't think they have to. Mm. I'm actually more. I mean, look at uh, you know, my beware. friend Dave Schmier. Yeah. Dave has done a wonderful job. He's always been very transparent. Of sourcing and, he's, and blending. And, and, that's, and that is the key thing. You know, a lot of folks can be taught how to distill. You, you have to have a real talent for blending. 
Mm. Um, you have to have a real great sense of uh, sense of smell, sense of taste. Um, I mean, master blenders, true master blenders, people who actually put their heart and souls into it. I mean, it's amazing. And frankly, frankly I, you know, I've known Dave Schmier for 25 years. I would never have guessed he was such a good blender, but he is. He's great. But was he doing it all along, or is this a most recent no, opportunity Dave is a for one-man him? Show, baby. And okay. he was. He came from a marketing background. He was. Uh, he had his own little event marketing company. That's how I met him back in the '90s. And you know, when he started doing this, I thought, "Wow, where did you, where did you learn this?" And a lot of it was just. You just pick things Experience. up. So 50 States was his first real blending thing? That's, not, that's not him. No, that's Mike uh, Bloom. Mike Bloom, yeah. 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 No, uh, Dave Schmier yeah. did Redemption Ride. I thought he did another one because he was buying barrels from people. He well, yeah. he, he's done, he sold Redemption to the Deutsch family out in New York. And then about a year later, he started up uh, Deadwood Bourbon and tumbling dice and now he's also doing these the funk uh, the dc collection he calls it so yeah oh and the funk funk rum yes uh an exodus rum uh but he has the it was his representative that won world's best rye i believe oh really or was the world's best bourbon yeah at the world whiskey awards earlier this year oh wow yeah so Tell me what you think about that. I'm not not oh. that specifically, but whenever somebody puts the world's best, the best one, mm-hmm. the well, one that's the winner of the state, well, the nation, the world. It's funny. I just had this conversation with uh, Guy Rehorse from Great Lakes this okay. afternoon. Uh, we were talking about that because we were also talking about drink competitions. Um, you know, drink competitions... Spirit competitions, I believe you've got to look into those like you look into any kind of source. You know, you wouldn't believe just anybody who said, oh my God, this is the best stuff ever. You should try this. <laughs> now, you should. Unless it's you. Yes. yes. And then, yeah. Then, then we, we should. Then we have to. You have to, um, you know, you, you've got to gauge it. Yeah, Jim Murray, for the longest time, mm-hmm. had the whiskey bottle. And every year, I he name a new whiskey as the world's best whiskey, and I go, well, what happened to last year's world's best whiskey? I, it's not that good anymore. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> so, fell off the map, man. Yeah, fell off, <laughs> declined. The earlier the stuff was better. Year. It yeah. sold out. Yeah, it's changed. You know, it was always a different whiskey. Right. Yeah. And when you look at, here's another thing you look at, is how many submissions are mm-hmm. in that competition. Yes. Yeah. Because if it's... Six. Yeah, all right. Well, all right. It's not really the world's best whiskey. It's the best whiskey out of these out of six. six. <laughs> I once won uh, Australia's best whiskey in a competition of one. See? Ta-da! Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Weren't you well, proud? The same thing happened with yeah, Irish whiskey uh, a number of years ago. Oh, really? Uh, where only one distillery uh, actually entered. And so guess who won the, uh, the best Irish distillery? A Scotch the best distillery. Irish Scott, or the best Irish uh, whiskey. Yeah, it was that one distiller. 
So, so those yeah, are it's a challenge. Good. I mean, that does create some questions, especially in consumers' minds. However, but here's another thing to look at, and you can go online for any one of these mm-hmm. um, before you run out by a bottle based on some of these awards. Mm-hmm. Go and look who the judges are. Are they proven? Uh, industry professionals who've been at it for a number of years. Like yourself. I wouldn't even say myself. Because, <laughs> you know, on a bad day, I'm thinking, oh my God. There are some days where I just don't taste much. Yeah. Or, but, yeah. you you know, Not you're COVID. doing it just, all no, day long. Yeah, just like and maybe Twitch coffee. Palette yeah. burnout. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. definitely that. There is definitely We have that. I mean, we... Not to toot my own horn, we won Distillery of the Year at San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, Marty was there for that ceremony. Ta-da, <laughs> um, ta-da. I wasn't, but Marty was. <laughs> Thank uh, you. But and so yeah, we thought we, we thought like okay, this could be a really great shining light for the brand in America, mm-hmm. and it really didn't impact us the way we thought it was going to. Like it helps, but yeah. also you know, let's be honest, people that want run big retail shops don't care. They, right. They, they they yeah, if you can put on a net tag, it cool. It's maybe it'll catch somebody's eye. But for them, they, they know how competitions well, work. Well, the thing, the thing yes. with a competition, I mean, I think it would be nice if the competition had the wherewithal to really promote the, the big winners. Right, uh, right. However, I think it's really up to the brand to take that ball and run with it. Absolutely. Um, we, we marketed the hell out of it. It just didn't catch on. People were like, oh, that's, that's neat. That's cool. So what do you think about the idea that for years, several years, Mm -hmm. one of these competitions, it was great. And if you won double gold, that was a unanimous decision of all the judges that it was the best of its category or the best of its class. And then all of a sudden the next year it was like, okay, now we have a higher level of good. It's the platinum award, but you have to have won double golds for several years Mm. so that you can get the platinum award. Do you feel so building like, a legacy kind of? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we want. Marty's shaking his head in disdain. Well, <laughs> my my only thing is having judged a number of uh, these competitions. Sometimes you're actually kind of pressured. You know, a certain yeah. category you're you're judging, and nothing's really going over ninety. Right. And they go, mm, is there anything kind of? Yep be nice if we had a gold and so we go back and we go well this one was this one was a pretty good 89 right put it over 90 and you're like you're tabbing up sometimes all those parts and you're like oh I thought I gave it a pretty good score and you come up like a 77 you're like wait how did I get 77 I like this whiskey you come back and you have to go which is totally true though you can have a likable whiskey over 20 years ago San Francisco huh what I can't get rid of these people <laughs> San Francisco, yeah. Oh, uh, the um, uh, Tangray number ten kept on winning best gin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, like three years in a row. Which and is I a thought, style, also like a style question. Is it what? A style of gin that the judges all liked, or it was the same judges, or what? Well, no. For, I know in the beginning they had a pretty steady. Uh, uh, a uh, little corral of judges that they used. Uh, I'm sure it's varied over the last 20 odd years, but um, even then, it's it's you know, Tangerine Number Ten is a great gin. 
I always loved it. Is it perfect? Is it better than some of those other brands that are also really good, but different styles? Put it this way. It also, think about gin 20-odd years ago. Right. It was more than 20 years ago. It's been about like uh, 2000 to probably 2003. Before we got all botanical and mm-hmm. special and yeah. unique. Craft and, and on and now you have more gin than you shake a stick at. Um, but what they did is they said, well, we have to take it out of the competition. But you can't just be oh. take it straight out. So what they did was create a Hall of Fame. Interesting. And so that was the first spirit to ever go into the San Francisco Wine Spirits Hall of Fame. Huh. Which wow. is kind of cool. That's, that's very cool. The GOAT. That's what you want to do. The GOAT, yeah. Now, it's kind of cool to revisit it after a number of years because you also have to wonder, you know, there's brands change. Yeah, I was just going to say, what if you start building it differently? How does that impact? Do you take it out of the Hall of Fame if you don't yeah. like it? Yeah, well, or the categories that, change so much, too. Now. Nick, I mean, Nick Morgan meant. just did a, an article. I couldn't read it because there was that. Because it has words. A pay, no, yeah, <laughs> big words. Full sentences. <laughs> big <paragraphs>. words, multi-syllabic <laughs> words. Those are the worst. Um, uh, no, they had, uh, but he, he was talking about how, uh, from what I gathered, from what little I could see, uh, that uh, uh, one of his favorite gins changed. Okay. I think they lowered the strength. Oh, which has yeah. happened. Yeah. There's been a number of brands. I think Seagram Seven changed their recipe. Damn those bastards! Like 30, 30 years ago or so, you know, started upping the neutral grain spirit as opposed to the rye stuff like that. Right. I mean, you see, we all saw the impact that makers have. They tried doing that, what, seven, eight years ago? Right. Yeah. Well, some people thought it was a marketing ploy in itself. Yeah. Oh, Marky. Marty. Oh. I was calling you Marty. Marky or something. I'm not sure what I said. A what? I said Marky or something. Yeah, it's a Marky. Yeah. yeah. Marky, Marty. Yeah. The, Chris, the crystal king of, of Chicago. And here we are in the crystal ball. Oh, in the crystal ballroom. Oh, is it? Yeah. The crystal king of Chicago in the crystal ballroom of Milwaukee. Milwaukee. It's called the crystal ballroom. Is now. I found it interesting on this whole competition thing. One of the newer, very well accepted, really good brands, um, their distiller said, look, I'm just not going to enter competitions for a while because I find it too difficult on my team, on my staff. And she said, in the same year, we won like double gold at one competition, platinum at another competition, and a bronze (laughs) for the same product across three. And as you said, Marty, you you do kind of want to look at, a lot of them have some of Marty, Duffy, the same judges going from place to place and doing things. But she said, how could I explain or answer the question to my staff mm-hmm. when we came home, everybody was excited, we won this top award, and then a week later we get the results and we won bronze, yeah. which is kind of like the participation trophy. It's a great point because we, after we won Distillery of the Year, um, I had a, a spirits competition asking to enter, and I was like, you know, uh, I think we'll pass. And they're like, oh, we'll give you a discounted rate. 
And then they're like, you know, well, you'll be, you'll, you'll win. Like you guys are great whiskey. I'm like, I'm sure I'm confident that our whiskey will do well, but no offense. Your spirit competition isn't going to compete with San Francisco. So like, if we don't do well, we're not going to market it. We're not going to advertise it. And I'm sure we would do fine. But at the same time, like why, why risk that when we already have like the Olympics, if you will, spirits competition award so where, where do well, you go from there i think i think if you i think if you do win a top award i don't You're see right. the point of going back yeah right that, uh, that competition however um to your point liz when if, if i'm in a, a judge you're never it's not based on one judge's opinion right. it's always going to be a panel of judges and that panel does change up and so, the competition changes. I, I get yeah. that, you know. Like, there may have been 800 entries in the one, but there yeah. were only 60 well, and that is the, in the well, second. But see, now, that wouldn't change your rating. So you wouldn't go, because you were, say, gold the year before, and now you're bronze the following year, it would have nothing to do with the number of competitions because you're still based on your spirit. It's not about, oh, she these, was, these are better than yours. Okay, she was saying that. it was the same year, the same product, but three different competitions. Oh, well, so, yeah, and that's three different judges. And, yep. yeah, or I panels. mean, three different panels yep. of yep. judges, yep. and you never know who they are. I mean, I've been on some, uh, some panels where they've tried to mix it up and put consumers in there. And these consumers, were they never going off of? You know, some consumers go, oh, my God, it's is strong. I can't you, icky. Yeah. And, and you go, no, well, that's not what you're judging on that strong. It's well, whiskey. It's a it's thing because it's like you said, Jake. You know, I used to evaluate students for scholarships. Yeah. And you get 50 applications. And they're supposed to be kind of following a rubric, like they have to meet this, this, and this. But a a student that you thought did really well that I gave good high marks to and then when I look at the bottom score when it's tallied it's like holy crap like this kid is middle of the pack based on my numbers and I'm not trying to be bad or hard on them I just didn't give them a hundred percent for this or that or the other thing but then that goes back to that whole thing can anybody be a hundred percent right right like is there any such thing as yeah, the perfect score it's tough. I mean, it, I mean, it's uh, goes to the old adage, uh, you know, you can't please everybody, you know, and it's rare that you'll ever find a brand that ever gets uh, scores of one hundred. You know, even movies, very rarely do you see a movie that gets a one hundred, and even then, you That's know, a, a lot of times those are being influenced. Later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those those uh, they'll be influenced by the fact that oh my yeah, it's a Martin Scorsese film. Well, I have to give it a hundred because he makes nothing but gold. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Wait, you saying Departed's not gold? The which? Departed. Departed I like the Departed. Maybe. The Irishman, I didn't like. No. Watch it. No. Eighty-something, no. uh, seventy-eight-year-old <laughs> Robert, Robert De Niro, De Niro kicking, trying, trying to beat up a guy. <laughs> Like, he looks yeah, like my grandpa. Yeah, let me give you. Stop. Come on over here. Hey, can kick you. And how on earth does he get the girl? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Come on. Well, Marty, he's got, Marty's got to go to another podcast. Oh, no. I know. It's no. terrible I to be so popular. I got to go to the event. Oh, that too. Yeah. 
Well, we can wrap we can wrap it up, but Liz, um, absolute pleasure to finally have you on. Oh, Jake, thank you. It's yeah. always a pleasure to see you, Thanks. be with you, hear about your new products from Down Under, as yeah. well as your fabulous podcast. Thank you so oh. much. You guys, uh, you guys truly are the best. Um, love Joe like a brother. So uh, You're when, kind. When, when 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 we got the news that he was becoming a master blender, we I, I had a little tear in my heart. So yeah, I love Joe yeah, like a third cousin. Well, you and said leave it that no. way, okay? Uh, Come on, Marty. Perfect. Hey, Marty, uh, thanks for coming back. <laughs> and uh, uh, Monkey in the Lake is the best uh, podcast. Premiere. Premiere. Thanks a lot. Oh, monkeys, monkeys. I, I, I got to go to the lake and see all the monkeys. By Glen Karen Glass. By Glen Karen, www.glencaren.co.uk. Jay Henry and Sons, November 4th. Be there. Go to the farm and have a good time. (laughs) Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you.